This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and I'm so delighted you're here today with me for episode 168 of Self Work. Before we get started, I want to thank those of you who've left reviews for my new book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, on Amazon. I saw them. I'm so very grateful, and I'm inviting more of you to do so if you're reading the book or if you've read it. You are my very best advertising and marketing, so thank you so much. And of course, those of you who are leaving reviews for the podcast as well. It's how more people will learn about self-work will learn that therapy is actually a very, very amenable, accessible kind of relationship. And if perhaps you're here because you've heard about Perfectly Hidden Depression, then I will pass on to you everything that I know about it as I learn it. And as other people get in touch with me about it, I'm still learning so much, even though the book is finished. Today on Self Work, we're going to be talking about boundaries. You know, my dad used to say to us as kids, your rights end where someone else's nose begins. And I guess that's where I began learning about boundaries. There are boundaries around our property or where we live. There are hours and hours spent in lawyers' offices stipulating the boundaries or legal understandings and agreements on the definition and the breadth of the agreement, whether it be a divorce, a bankruptcy, one company buying another, whatever it is. But boundaries in relationships, especially relationships that aren't structured by work, can be much more difficult to create and honor. And if it's not a boundary that someone inherently wants or understands, then there can be huge problems. Because that boundary just may be crossed again and again, especially by someone who has little to no clue of the impact they have on others around them. So we'll divide the topic of boundaries into these parts. First, what is a boundary? And what makes a boundary necessary to voice? Or are there understood boundaries? Second, can a boundary have a positive effect or the effect desired? What's the difference between voicing a boundary and a demand? How do we effectively talk about boundaries, our limits, our expectations? And what happens when these negotiations around boundaries take place, but they don't stick? This is actually a topic that I could do several podcasts on, so we're going to touch on some major points, but hopefully the information will be helpful to you because I think there's a lot of confusion around the whole concept of how to set boundaries. Our listener email had a great question about discovering her ex had a pornography problem, and as a result of that and other deceit, she's having problems in her present relationship with trust and self-confidence, so she's asking for help and what she can do. Listener email is a regular feature of self-work, and I ask all of you to email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'll answer your question as quickly and as effectively as I can and might just feature it here on the podcast. So let's sit back and relax and talk about boundaries. As I was beginning to write this, I could just wonder what your first reaction to hearing the word boundary is. Do you immediately think, well, boundaries keep you safe? Or does this spring to mind? Boundaries are a way to keep others out. 
or even boundaries are unnecessary in healthy relationships because there's respect. Whatever your first almost innate response to the word is, that may suggest something about your own relationship history, whether or not you have a positive reaction to the word boundary or a negative one. Have your own boundaries been respected or abused or manipulated? That probably has a lot to do with how you consider the word itself. Here's actually a definition provided by the website Guide to Psychology. By definition, a boundary is anything that marks a limit. Psychological limits define personal dignity. When we say, you just crossed a line, we are speaking about a psychological limit that marks the distinction between behavior that does not cause emotional harm and behavior that causes emotional harm. Yet for many, the concept of a boundary is a little difficult to understand. This definition uses the term emotional harm. I might add that when you define your limits or your boundaries, that you're also being specific about your values. And there are limitless differences in how those values or limits were formed. So there's a lot of difference in what our boundaries are. We've probably all had the experience of sitting by someone in a restaurant and they're talking on their cell phone so loudly you can hear their conversation. Now, that's a boundary for polite behavior for me. But you know what? Some folks wouldn't be bothered by that at all. I hadn't seen someone in a long time the other day, and I'd forgotten how much she tends to touch you when she talks. Just a light touch on the shoulder, but I guess it's how she stresses her point. It was a little weird feeling, because I hadn't seen her in a long time, but I remembered that that was her style. Now, if I had a history of physical or sexual abuse, that behavior might not be okay at all. So you can see how our boundaries are different. All of us have things we can tolerate, or things that don't get to us, but that tolerance is created by what we've experienced in the past. For example, my husband knows not even to playfully hold me down. I tie that to the fact that I was sick a lot and in the hospital as a kid and had some experiences there that were unpleasant that still strike me in kind of a primal way when someone, again, even jokingly, tries to hold me down. We've talked about triggers before, and that's a huge trigger for me. I have a boundary. Yet, if you have trouble with being assertive, voicing your limits or your boundaries could be very difficult for you. So we'll talk about some beliefs that go along with the idea that you can't or shouldn't or shouldn't have to set limits with others, and then how to go about risking this change so you don't get stepped on emotionally or psychologically as much as you may now. Assertiveness is really the key. Let me note here that if you are in an abusive relationship where you get treated more as an object instead of a human, or where there is endless manipulation of your behavior or feelings, then establishing good boundaries may not be possible because assertiveness isn't even safe, and because the other person has the distinct agenda of controlling or even hurting you. You'll just get laughed at or ridiculed if you try to voice your limits. The task here is to realize that if they don't have the capacity to honor or respect what you're asking or what is decent behavior, then you may need to consider leaving that relationship safely or to find some way to survive what you have to until you can consider what you need to do. But let's focus today on relationships where there is more safety. Now, you might fear a reaction like anger or defensiveness if you begin to set limits, but you're not in actual danger if you risk doing so. First, let's talk about what makes a boundary necessary to voice. 
It might seem unnecessary to you if you grew up in a family or a culture where there was a lot of respect shown for individual differences or preferences or values. If there were differences, even strong ones, but the reigning attitude was, we can agree to disagree, or I don't understand why that angers you, but I can respect it. You can certainly hear that these people not only can tolerate conflict, but they can respect and honor individual differences. But many of us didn't enjoy growing up with relationships like this, so we don't have that behavior in our arsenal or our skill set. Or you can make the mistake of assuming that others' limits are similar or even the same as yours. And that might be true, but it also could not be. Here's another example just from my own life. I had a friend a long time ago who was always 20 minutes late. She just assumed that wasn't a problem for me. What she didn't realize is that I'm a bit obsessive about time, which is not a strength. I'd get irritated. So I needed to talk to her about it. We came to the common sense solution that I'd tell her a time and then plan to show up 20 minutes after that time myself. We didn't have texting back then. And we kind of laughed about it, but I had to let her know it was a problem. So she worked on her end and I worked on mine. It wasn't a perfect solution, but it was better than becoming angry. So if you're taking a behavior personally, if every time that someone's late or they tend to gossip when you're uncomfortable doing so, or if they want to go to a bar for coffee and you're more comfortable in a coffee shop, whatever the boundary is, you can talk about it and not wait for it to just happen. What you don't want to do is assume that you know the boundaries of someone else when truly you don't. This leads to another important point. Voicing a limit or a boundary isn't the same as a demand. It's telling someone what you prefer, where you stand on something. You're not demanding anything or telling them they're wrong. You're just asserting your own values, your desires, or your limits. If you say, for example, to someone you really like at work, I know you're unhappy at work, but we work together, and I'm finding that I'm growing more unhappy myself after I listen to what you're unhappy about. I don't think I can be a regular sounding board on this. I wish I could. You know I care, but I can't. Maybe you might want to think about therapy. Now again, you can hear that this isn't a demand, but your colleague can hear that as, so, you never want me to talk to you again about being unhappy. Then they're hearing your boundary as a demand. Instead, they could hear that you're saying, you're my friend and I care about you, but I'm getting overwhelmed by how much we talk about being unhappy at work. So again, they could hear it as a request or simply that you've reached a limit. Now, you can't control the reaction. All you can control is the appropriateness and vulnerability of you being honest and assertive. Let's talk for a minute about cultural boundaries. They're often taught and accepted and make life simpler in a way for that culture. Those boundaries are rules people follow, kind of like lines on a street or turn signals or stop signs. In fact, I was lucky enough to have a visit to China where I had a niece there who was studying. And what I noticed in China, especially about the roads, was that the lines on the road are suggestions to them. They pay no attention to them. It was really very frightening as an American But I noticed no one was having wrecks, so I just kind of sat back and thought, okay, let's go along for the ride. Work environments also have boundaries where certain behaviors are accepted and understood, so you fit into the culture of the work setting. 
Now, those can vary widely from workplace to workplace, from the way you dress to whether or not you clock in or out or whether you have flexible work hours. All of those become boundaries of acceptable behavior. In fact, having very structured boundaries at work is one of the reasons why people can have lots of anxiety or confusion or even highly disorganized behavior away from work when at work they do fine because the structure there provides them with the rules. Intimate relationships, relationships where the boundaries are much more complex and need to be worked out, can be much more difficult to handle and negotiate. What we're doing, in fact, when we meet someone and begin discovering who they are, what makes them tick, what disappoints them, what pleases them, they're giving you information about their limits, whether or not they call it that or not, their values, and you're doing the same thing. From as tangible a thing as how money is handled to more intangible things, such as what are the boundaries in a long-distance relationship or what does a commitment really mean, things that have to be worked out. Speaking of financial boundaries, I worked with one couple a long time ago who couldn't agree on whether or not their checking account should be joint or if they should keep their account separate. Actually, both sides of the conflict held trust issues. One said, I'm not quite ready to combine my money with yours because my ex cheated me out of a lot of cash. I know you're not them, but it's going to take me a little more time to trust. The other side said, my dad and mom always had a joint account and it worked great for them. It's so much more clear. What's the problem? The latter had come from an environment of trust and respect. The other's experience was not that. But they could tolerate in that moment what their boundaries were, were different. You could argue about who's right and who's wrong or take the difference in those boundaries as quite personal. But if you listen instead to the reasoning of why that boundary, for now at least, needs to be respected, then you can have a really good conversation. What they decided, for instance, to do was to make a financial plan with a scheduled structure that honored both the efficiency or clarity of having a joint account, or at least one where they both contributed, but also honored the fear that someone brought into the relationship. You can see that it takes mutual respect and understanding to talk about and assert boundaries. But there are times when these negotiations take place and they don't work. I often find that someone will agree to a limit or a boundary or an expectation, and they're actually not really agreeing. They're acquiescing. They're going along with it. They may not even really be listening very carefully. And that's very different from agreeing to honor a limit. Let's go back to our financial example. Let's say the schedule is agreed upon that in a month, a joint account will be opened and both spouses will give a certain percentage of their income, keeping the rest to spend how they see fit. But the person with the trust issues keeps forgetting to put their money in or gets a raise and doesn't tell their partner about it, of course, creating their own trust problems. Or the other one starts pushing to let go of the other accounts. These are stupid, and it doesn't make sense to do it this way. Hopefully you can see that either one of them could likely have gone along with or acquiesced to the agreement and really not been so sure that they meant it. You can't acquiesce to a boundary or an agreement or a limit. You have to actually negotiate and assert yourself. Now, actually, sometimes this new boundary is forgotten. Within the last couple of years, for example, my husband asked me to quit kidding him about something. 
It doesn't matter what it was, but he nicely asked. I realized I'd been crossing a boundary. I apologized and said I'd quit. But I forgot and did it again. I saw the look on his face and I felt terrible. So I apologized again and said this time I'd remember. And so far, knock on wood, I have. Sometimes it takes some effort to change and new boundaries are forgotten. And so then you need to apologize and renew your commitment. Make sure you're not acquiescing and commit with a sense of understanding and integrity. But what is your recourse if a boundary you've set and explained is continuously ignored or blatantly defied? I hear about this a lot with people who are in relationship with someone who has certain personality disorder features, as in borderline or narcissistic or even histrionic personality disorder, or people with addictions. These are folks who lack the empathy that's needed to hear a boundary and respect it, so it can be very difficult. Now, there are books written on how to steer clear of the emotional vortex of blame and manipulation that can be part of those personal relationships. The key is to stay as rational as possible. Do not dive into your own emotions. Al-Anon, which is the support organization for people who are in relationship with alcoholics, Al-Anon calls it detaching with love. So instead, basically, of getting angry about the boundary not being respected, you act very rationally and stay in your head so that you don't get emotional and fuel the conflict. Here's another example from my practice. I was working with a woman years ago whose aging mother had addictions, both smoking and alcohol. But my client would arrive once a month to clean and help out, and her mom would demand that she go buy more cigarettes and booze. Out of wanting to avoid a major blow-up, my client would then go get them. Now, my client also had terrible asthma, so the smoking was a huge personal problem for her as well. In our work together, she began setting the boundaries on what she would do for her mom while there and what she wouldn't do. Buying alcohol and cigarettes were going to be off the to-do list, and she needed to explain this to her mother very clearly. And actually, there was a second boundary. If her mom wanted her to come and help, which she did, the mom would also agree to only smoke outside. My client stated all of this clearly and without animosity. The mom listened, kind of scowled, and then promptly forgot and did what she always did. So, my client simply said calmly, I'll be back next month, but you know our agreement. And then she kissed her mom on the forehead and left. By the way, my client's brother actually lived with the mom, so she wasn't abandoning her, like there wouldn't be anyone there for her. If she had, we might have had to do another kind of agreement. Sure enough, the next month, her mom didn't ask for cigarettes or alcohol, and they had a decent visit, but she did smoke inside. So my client, again, somewhat cheerfully, would leave when that would happen and come back a bit later, saying to her mom, Mom, you know the rules. I'm not going to be in the room with you when you're smoking. And I need to get a lot done, so if you wouldn't mind going outside, I'd appreciate it. But then she would go on and leave. Sometimes the boundary needs reinforcing from time to time. This may sound to you parents somewhat like the way you treated your child, and it is that way. But we're not doing it in an authoritarian way. We're doing it in a friendly, supportive way, but we're also being assertive about our boundaries being understood and respected. Now, what this actually did was that she and her mom could enjoy some time available to both of them. And her mom actually became more accustomed to 
having her daughter sit and visit with her, which she thoroughly enjoyed. But my client simply had to get more assertive. So let's recap a little. First of all, don't make an assumption that you know the boundaries of others or they know yours. You may have to voice them. And voicing a limit or a boundary is not a demand. Now, the recipient of that boundary may call it that, and you can't control that. But you can try to help them hear that you're just asserting a boundary or a limit. There are many cultural boundaries, whether they're in a church or a religion, whether they're in just the region where you live, or you have work boundaries. And these kind of boundaries actually help us follow the same rules so that things are more orderly and organized. But then personal lives are much more complex than that. And a lot of times boundaries need to be worked out. And then as we find out who our partners are and they find out who we are, we can work out our differences by understanding and respecting each other's boundaries and not arguing about who's right and who's wrong. And the last point is acquiescence is not agreeing to anything. So don't acquiesce, affirm, and enjoy a relationship where each other's boundaries are respected. Our listener email today is from a woman who said, feel free to use this on your board or podcast, but I didn't want it under my Facebook ID. My ex-husband came forward to me the day before our second child was born and told me he had a porn addiction. At that point, we'd been together eight years, and he had lied and hidden it the entire time. He didn't seek the kind of help where I feel like he would honestly ever be healed. He simply told me that God had taken that desire away from him. Fast forward 10 years, I ended up leaving him because his behavior did not stop. Now I'm in a new relationship, but I'm just discovering how deeply wounded I am from my ex's lies and hiding. I have terrible trust issues as well as poor self-confidence. Can you please point me in a direction to seek help for overcoming this as I feel it will be detrimental to my new relationship as well as other areas in my life? You know, I'm hearing more and more about pornography and its effects on relationships. Now I want to stress that pornography, when it's known and it's not a secret, can be something that two people really enjoy in their relationship. This is not a condemnation of pornography. The problem is lying and deceit. So I say to her that very fact. Pornography and the fact that it's so often secret is a huge problem. And it takes time for many people to see the depth of the hurt that this has caused, as well as the deceit that went along with it. Just think about it. When you're driving through a horrible storm, you don't notice the effect it's having on your body. You can't pay attention to your fear. You're just trying not to drive off the road. So the trauma that can happen around relationships are similar. You don't see the damage that the lying and the deceit is doing, but it's having great damage. I hope you'll consider getting into therapy to find out what feels hard to work through. Is it anger? How can you build back your self-esteem or your self-confidence? Are you moving too fast with this new relationship and need to slow it down a bit? All would be quite normal. Now, Harriet Lerner wrote a book called The Dance of Deception that could be helpful. But please don't shame yourself for needing to deal with the after effects of your own storm. Those feelings were waiting for you until the relationship was over. Talk to your partner about it. Let them know you need a little more time to work on yourself that you don't want to take it personally. In fact, this is sort of a boundary, isn't it? You're telling them that you need a little time to work through this damage. Good luck to you. 
and take care. Thanks so much for listening to Self Work Today. I hope this information was helpful to you and lent some clarity to the whole topic of boundaries. If you'd like, please subscribe to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can order my book at perfectlyhiddendepression.com or on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, straight from my publisher, New Harbinger. That would be great. It's all about how perfectionism can mask a very silent and dangerous depression. As I said before, you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com or you can leave me a voice message on the SpeakPipe app that you can find in my show notes. I also have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're almost at 2,000 members now. We're a very diverse and caring group. So come on over. Just remember to answer the questions. I look for those answers to those questions as a way of getting to know you a little bit and why you want to join the group. So thanks again for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.